0: I know you brought your Bible with you if you'd find it open at the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, As I may mention, a sermon I've entitled, The Strength for the Coming Year. You know, I I think we'd all agree, New Year comes, gives us opportunity to rethink, recalibrate some things. Uh, Actually, the year January comes from the Greek word Janus, which was the Greek goddess that uh, had two heads. This goddess had one head that looked backwards seeing where she had been and then look forward to see where she was going and so it is when we come to a new year we find ourselves hopefully reflecting upon where we've been and that experience has been a good teacher and uh, but also looking forward in anticipation about where we're headed what we desire to accomplish uh, I don't know if you're a goal setter or not, but, uh, but Mary and I are. We always have. I, I set goals for the church as I pastored over the years, but also personal goals. And so we, we've got those wrapped up in about uh, seven goals apiece that we're hoping to accomplish, spiritual goals, financial goals, physical goals, all of these things collectively that we believe would help us to stay on task to be the kind of people we want to be. I did read that, uh, that actually goal-setting is not as popular as it once was. Uh, I, I, in this uh, uh, article, it said that only 45% of people now make New Year's resolutions, uh, where 10 or so years ago, it was about 88% of the people. So uh, evidently, even in the last 10 years, the last decade, half the people have thought, well, this is not worth it to, to, to set a goal or set a resolve or do something different. Uh, in, in the article Stephen Shapiro wrote, gold free Living, he said, at some point, people just decide to stop disappointing themselves, and they call off the whole thing. <laughs> Shapiro says, these New Year's resolutions inevitably set people up for bitterness, defeat, and unhappiness. I read it and I said, it seems like Mr. Shapiro may need a hug. You know, things aren't that bad. (laughs) And certainly for us as the people of God, because we have hope in the risen Lord. And while the future may be uncertain, and it is seemingly waxing worse and worse, we pause to say this first Sunday of a new year, our God is able. Amen? Indeed he is. He's still on the throne, the tomb is still empty, and Jesus Christ is still Lord of all. When we come to Isaiah chapter 40, God's people are facing captivity once again. Not from the Assyrians as they had once been held in captivity, but this time by the Babylonians and they're anxious, they're forlorn. And this prolific statesman prophet by the name of Isaiah would say, listen, there's hope on the horizon. Here's the reticent resolve. It'll be found in God, and we will draw our strength from him in these days of uncertainty. Would you stand and out of reading God's word today as we put the text, Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. I know you know this text, and I pray today that it would speak to all of us individually and collectively as I read God's word. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases. There's the word we're looking at today. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their, say it with me, strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Father, I pray today that we would find our strength in you. And Lord, I know most of us come to a new year, and uh, we've dealt with physical things that have uh, been challenges and even as I looked at Tim up here giving the announcements, good to see him back. But I know it's been a hard year for him with all of the, the heart issues and surgeries. And I, I, I just pray for not only him, but many others who have dealt with chronic illness and, and issues and, and losing loved ones. Lord, life is hard, but we thank you that we do have a, a hope, a hope that's in our Savior. And in him we find strength for today. And I pray as we open this familiar passage of Scripture that you, as only you can, would speak to our hearts and you would put us on a a new path. You're, You're the giver of new life. You're the hope when hope seems not to be found. And so, Lord, take this time, set it apart for the glory of our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Three timeless truths I want you to see with me from this text of Scripture. I'm beginning under Roman number one, calling it the problems we face. The problems we face were the problems they were facing as well. As you remember, the book of Isaiah is divided into two sections. The first first section goes through chapters 1 through 39 and then 40 through chapter 66. Those first 39 chapters speaks of Isaiah's ministry in Judah a ministry that had gone for over five decades. And so while some prophetic careers last but a a snapshot of time, like Amos, that it was only a few days, not so with Isaiah, some 53 years he would be God's prophet there in Jerusalem. In chapter 40, we see, though, what's going on here. What's happened? And Isaiah is prophesying about this coming captivity in Babylon that's yet to occur. But the language really is in present tense reality. He says here in chapter 40, there seems to be an exhaustion by God's people. They're in need of comfort, of compassion, of consolation. And he relates three problems they're dealing with. And I would suggest to you, many of you here are dealing with these same three. The first one is fear. There seems to be a pervasive problem of fear. It's not surprising. God's people were rightfully dreading the thought of being exiled in a foreign land, ruled by a tyrant, cut off from their homeland, and there was a dread, a fear of what the future might hold. Some of you this morning, not unlike them, are also living in fear. Oftentimes, we're fearful of things we have no control over, fearful of things that may never occur, But fear can be a crippling emotion. Ralph Waldo Emerson would write, Fear defeats more people than any one thing in the whole world. I read that uh, we are born with two inherent fears. One, the fear of falling. And the second is the fear of loud noises. But as we mature, there's more than two fears we deal with. There are phobias and there's a myriad of fears in our life. It's been said That fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from being all that God intends you to be. So how do we deal with it? How do we come against it? Obviously in faith driven by God's unconditional love for each one of us. The antidote to this poison of fear is faith in God. Psalms 27.1, the Lord is an light in my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So let's make it our first resolve to quit living in fear. And and, and, and as I like to say, let's quit telling God how big our problems are and start telling our problems how big our God is. As someone rightfully used the analogy that fear knocked on my heart's door, but faith answered only to see that really was no one was there. Let's answer in faith. First, the problem of, of, of fear. But secondly, it's fatigue. In verse 29, he talks about the weakness and how the might, the might will be depleted. Verse 30, how the youth faint and grow weary, and even the young men are going to fall. There's a fatigue that's pervasive he's talking about. Winston Churchill would one time say, the world is being run by a lot of tired men. How true it is. I wonder if we got any tired people here today at Town Church. Sure we do. We get exhausted. And when we get exhausted, I would suggest to you any bravery, any ambition, any valor, or any virtue quickly subsides. Vince Lombardi would say one time, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And it really does. Here Isaiah says it's a universal problem. It affects the young and the old alike. It's no respecter of persons. Here's a correlation I've experienced. When I'm physically exhausted and when I'm fatigued, it affects me spiritually as well. I become vulnerable and weak. And here's what I know. God knew what our tendency would be in this fatigue. He established in creation a six-day work week. But he built into this work a day of Shabbat, of of the Sabbath day, a day of rest. And when we don't rest, we obviously pay the consequences. And you can mark it down, weariness and fatigue are the ingredients for disaster in anyone's life. And here Isaiah talks about renewing our strength and overcoming our fatigue and exhaustion if we'll find strength in our God. His strength is happening through our weakness. First it's fear, then it's fatigue. Let me suggest thirdly and applicable, and that is our familiarity. God's response in verse 28 is the rhetorical question in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Now listen, these are God's covenant people that Isaiah is speaking to their existence their salvation history of course is with Abraham Isaac and Jacob and it seems it had become old news now they looked around without faith oh they have a recollection of the great things that God had done but they were taking it for granted because it's true familiarity does breed contempt and there was a complacency and there was a gross indifference, and it can happen to you. Maybe it already has. God's Word is preached, proclaimed, and you find yourself saying, I've heard that. So what? That's not new news. That's nothing, nothing different than, than I've heard proclaimed over the ages. And you preface everything you hear by saying, but... Yeah, I know that's true, but my circumstances are different. And rather than just making application of the truth that's being preached, you're always prefacing it by by why that's not what you need to hear. I remember I had a deacon some years back that really told me about his own apathy, and he said this, I don't care what you preach, I've heard it before. I can't leave learning anything new. To which I said, with that attitude, you can't expect to hear anything new. You know what Jesus said? He who has ears, let him hear. And I'm telling you, if you come to church with apathy and indifference, if you come with such familiarity that it doesn't matter what clear message is proclaimed, you leave no different, then I'm telling you there is a problem. Let's not only hear the Word of God, let's heed the Word of God. And here's the truth of the matter is, God's Word is quick and powerful. It's living. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Can I tell you, God sees our hearts. And He speaks to our hearts. Let's not be people who say in complacency, ah, that's no news. That's nothing new. Let's receive it with freshness and by faith. Let me move quickly. Not only the the problems we face, but the promises we find. We find some promises here. In verse 28, Isaiah relates how God can be our strength, how God can be our sufficiency, how he uses the basis of God's nature, his character, his covenant, and how we can exchange our weakness, our weariness, our woefulness for his strength. And these three promises are related under A through his character, God's character. He mentions here the name of God, first declaring, have you not heard? He is the everlasting God from eternity past to eternity present. You are the God who was and is and is to come. And then he calls him the creator, the ends of the earth. And it's just a reminder that our God spoke a word and created a world and created the cosmos that we enjoy. And then he shaped from the dust of the ground and breathed into mankind the breath of life. And we become a living being. And all of the wondrous creation that we see on display speaks to the handiwork of God who created it all and desires to make himself known, not just through the special revelation of the word of God, but through general revelation, and that is the handiwork that he puts on display before us. Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and the Godhead, so that now men are without excuse. Men are without excuse, not just because they haven't heard the Word of God, but because God puts Himself on display through His great creation. Psalms 90, verse 1, Lord, You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. And the prophet wrote here, you are Elohim. You are El Shaddai. You are Yahweh. And that covenant name Yahweh is in the English Bible is for it's Lord in all caps. It's the sacred name of God. And you remember that it would not be pronounced by the rabbis, never pronounced. And even the scribes, when they wrote with the pen, when they were writing scripture, they no longer would use the same pen when they came to this sacred name. That term Yahweh means the self-existent one. It's the name of God that he used to reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush. It's his covenant name. It reveals his uniqueness That he is the self-existent God, the sovereign God, the holy God. And that name he would bestow uniquely upon Jesus. For you shall call his name Jesus. For it means Yahweh is salvation. His character reveals that he's a creator. His character reveals that he's the sustainer. But also that he is the redeemer. In him... Through Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the grace of God. First, we see it in His character, these promises. Secondly, in His compassion. In this section of Scripture, Isaiah is saying, Our God is cognizant of your weakness. He's compassionate towards you. As Jeremiah would write, it says, the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassion fails not. It is new every morning, as we sung a little earlier. Great is his faithfulness. Surely, this endearing trait of our God is his unconditional love and his intentional compassion to everyone who desires to have his compassion. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all of you who are weary and are heavy laden, and in me you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke will be easy, my burden will be light. And Matthew records the words of Jesus who declares, Come to me, I'll set you free. Come to me, I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace from your anxiety. I'll give you freedom from your addictions. I'll give you healing from your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups because I'm a compassionate God. Can I tell you, the call to Jesus continually was this call to the broken, to the downtrodden, to the disenfranchised, to the down and out, to those who were frantic and desperate. He says, in me and only in me you can find hope, you can find help, and you can find healing. We see it in his character. We see it in his compassion. But I will tell you, we see that promise also in his claims. We read that God will give power to the weak. To those without might, he gives strength, and he gives understanding, he says, which is unsearchable. It's off the charts. God's understanding is unsearchable. And I'm just telling you today what that says to you who are here today and watching online That God knows your deepest need. He's an understanding God. He knows your sorrow. He knows your sickness. He knows your sadness. And He identifies us with our needs. In Hebrews chapter 2, speaking of the supremacy of Christ, for since Jesus Himself was tested and He was tempted and went through these various trials, now He's able to come to the aid of those who also suffer from these temptation and trials. In heartaches. How can he do that? Isaiah declares because he's an understanding God. Our God understands. But he goes on to say not only is he understanding, he's unavoidable. Verse 28b God's chief attributes, as we know, first are his omnipotence, he's all powerful, he's omniscient, he's all knowing, but he also is omnipresent. God is everywhere. I would suggest to you there is people on every corner that's trying to ignore God or neglect God or curse God. But can I tell you about what God, who He is? He's a God who keeps showing up. He's an unavoidable God. What did the psalmist say in Psalms 139? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings... Of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Some said, man, I can't go anywhere. God's not showing up. I may be speaking some today, been trying to avoid God because you're living in shame. There's a sin problem in your life. Maybe you've been blinded to to God's work around you and there's gross indifference and this text is saying you can't outrun God you can't dismiss God you can't deter God he's the hound of heaven he's tracking you down he's pursuing you and he's coming after you because he's full of compassion and redeeming love one last thing and then I'll conclude not only the problems we face The promises we find. Lastly are the pursuits that we must follow. Isaiah declares to all people of God that they can have renewed strength. There's a remedy for all of you who are facing exhaustion and fatigue and fear and failure. And then he mentions that it's going to underage. Take some patience. You've got to wait on the Lord. Now I'm just going to say in all transparency. This is... Every time this patience thing is brought up, it just flies right in my face. If you're wired like me, you're, you want to be on the run and do it and accomplish it as quick as possible. Having to wait is hard. But we're told here to wait on the Lord. If we want his strength for our weakness, we're going to have to make this transaction and oftentimes that comes through waiting on him. What does that mean? I, when, usually when we think of waiting, we think of maybe going to the doctor and sitting in the waiting room. And which seems like an eternity before you ever get in there to see the doctor. And then you get in there and go to the examining room and the waiting time just starts. <laughs> but, but that's usually what we think of. But that's not what it's talking about in God's word. It's not a matter of sitting with folded hands, empty-minded, and passively yawning. If that were the case, we could get plenty of people signing up for waiting on God if it meant just doing nothing. But God is rarely calling us to do nothing. Could I tell you this? Here's what waiting on God is. It's putting your faith into action. It's trusting. It's looking expectantly. It's about a readiness about us. And to do that, for me to do it and for you to do it, guess what? We're going to have to have have the Spirit of God living in us. We know what the fruit of the Spirit is, don't we? Yeah, love, joy, peace, what? Patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I usually move pretty fast through that patience thing. But I'm telling you, sometimes we just have to be patient and waiting on God. What does that mean? It means we're not going to run ahead of Him. Nor are we going to lag behind him. We're going to be guided by his spirit. And sometimes that requires being patient. And then he speaks about the power in verse 29 and verse 31. God's promising power to the weak, strength for the feeble, perseverance to those who are floundering. And he uses that word renew. It means to change. Change. Actually, that word in the Hebrew Bible is used in Genesis and Judges, and it meant to change clothes. And that's what it's like in the Christian life in that sense. We're changing. The old man is to be laid away, and the new man is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. We change clothes. We have a changed mind, and we change from wickedness To his righteousness, our sin for his salvation, our helplessness for his hope, our weakness for his strength. And then Isaiah uses the metaphor that we all know, and that is of an eagle. An emblematic picture of power and strength and, and prominence. But you may not know this about eagles. They're especially effective. Not just when they glide through the sky on a beautiful day, but when they're found in a storm. I'm told that an eagle can see further, fly higher, and fly faster in a storm than any other time. Normally, they can fly up to 50 miles an hour, which is pretty incredible. But in a storm, they've been clocked flying as fast as 100 miles an hour. They rise above the storm, it seems, on an eagle's wings. And that's the promise of God here. When storms and trials and difficulties overwhelm us, God will give us strength if we mount up on wings as eagles. He'll empower us to withstand the storms that we're facing. I'm going to preach on that next Sunday. Don't want to spend too much time right here. I want to speak about the trials indeed that we deal with. So we see it takes patience, takes the power of God at work in our life, And then he relates one last thing, and that is perseverance. Isaiah says, when God's powers are strength, we'll not grow weary, will not wear out, we will not faint, because God's strength is going to be a wellspring within us, giving to us eternal life. So yes, we have challenges that we look at as we look over the year to come that we indeed will deal with. But we who have made a commitment in our lives to Jesus Christ have to say, Yes, but I've got Jesus giving me the strength, the power, the endurance, the perseverance to stay with the commitment I've made. Because we cannot not let our weariness and our, 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 our own personal ability deflect us to living in the strength promised to us by God. And it is that transaction. It is taking off the old, putting on the new. And the old being this, your weakness, and putting on the cloak of strength. It happens by the grace of God and God's Spirit dwelling within us. I quit with this story. It's out of 1 Samuel chapter 30. I know you'll remember it. It's a wonderful story about King David and how he persevered through some troubled times As you well know, the Amalekites were uh, always the warring nemesis of God's people. And they invaded a little village by the name of Ziglag. And they burned down the village. They kidnapped the women and children and they carted them off. In verse 4, we find that David and his troops come back and they see what's happened to their city and what's happened to their children and their wives. And they weep until there's no more strength left to weep. And then verse 6 tells us that things were in such chaos and disarray that the troops began to come together and talk about stoning David as they were so bitter over the loss of their family and all that they had known there. But the text says this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. So, David, when things were unraveling, when it was totally coming apart, when there was a coup to take his own life, he found his strength in God. He mounted up on eagle's wings and in hot pursuit, you know the story, they overtake the Amalekites. They recapture their wives and their children that had been taken. How did he do it? Well, he was a great king, he was a mighty warrior. If you say that, you miss the point. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And that's really what I'm asking you to do this year. Regardless of your fatigue, your fear, or even certainly your familiarity, will you remember this verse, a verse of hope? Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we thought or asked. According to the power that works within you. To do that, it takes some patience. Sure it does. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the perseverance. It's God's call for you. It's God's call for me. Let's find our strength in him. Would you bow your heads with me today? We'll have a time of public invitation. Troy's going to come and lead us in an invitation hymn. If you're here today, God's spoken to your heart about a decision you need to make public. I'm going to ask you to come on the first verse, the first word of this invitation hymn. And maybe God has spoken to your heart. And maybe just a prayer with someone else would galvanize, indeed, the commitment you know God is asking of you. So we have people at the front. I'll be there myself to pray with you, to nail this down. Maybe you're here and uncertain of your own faith in Christ, whether you're really saved. If you were to step over to eternity today, you're not even sure you'd go to heaven. What an what a awesome time to nail the truth of the gospel down that Jesus saves. He'll save you today if you'll come. Invite him into your life. Repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus. You can have eternal life. Come today. We are honored to pray with you. Father, this is your invitation. This is your time. And now I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that if any here know you're not in the free pardon of sin, this would be their day of divine appointment. They'd come and believe. Pray for those who are weary and worn out and well-doing. I pray they'd be steadfast. They'd leave with resolve today to be all that's expected of them. So, Lord, this is your invitation. We can give the outward call, but only you can change your heart. We're dependent upon you, Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? While we sing, God calls. You come right now.